Welcome to Real Good Company, a show about real people building good companies that make a big impact. We go behind the scenes to get the good, the bad, and the ugly. So you can become a better leader and gain fresh wisdom for both your personal and professional life. I'm your host, Allison Trebridge. And I'm your host, Caitlin Crosby-Benward. And you're in, in Real, Real Good, good Company. company. <laughs> Beth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me today. Oh my gosh. I've been so excited about this conversation. I I met Beth, what, maybe a month ago, six weeks ago? When, when she heard me at a pitch event for the Albright and was so generous to give me feedback on, on my pitch. And, and as we were talking through things, I, I, my immediate response was, I have to have you on the podcast. We need your advice and guidance to our listeners. So, so grateful to have you on board. Oh, I'm happy to do it. Thanks for inviting me. First of all, where are you calling in from right now? So <laughs> I'm actually calling in from London, England even though the accent uh, usually surprises people because when I say I'm in London, they expect to hear Mary Poppins on the other end. Um, And Ah, I'm actually from the U.S. originally. And I think I've held on to my Midwestern accent. I still say tomato and I haven't haven't lost that that in there, but I have actually been here for for a while. So So tell us a little bit about just how you got into the space of communications and what you do now and how you got here. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, the short version of this story is, you know, I grew up in the U.S. and I've spent the last 15 years working in corporate communications for large global companies on three continents and then started my own company to help people improve their communication, creativity, and leadership skills. Like that's the short version. But probably the more interesting version is to say that it all started with me just being a really curious kid. I was Mm -hmm. always curious. And I think that started just from growing up, I grew up in a small town in Indiana. And when you grow up in a small town in Indiana, that particularly at that time was not particularly diverse, I was really curious about the rest of the world. And Mm -hmm. I love to travel and meet people and learn about new cultures. And, you know, all that really appealed to kind of my curious nature. And I would say, um, it's, it's funny to talk to you because as a kid growing up, my big dream was to go to Los Angeles. I went when I was nine years old. And when you were, think about a nine-year-old kid coming to Los Angeles. It was the summer, it was sunny, it was vibrant. You know, you've got, it's pretty much kid paradise because we spent two days at Disneyland and we went to Knott's Berry Farm, we went to Magic Mountain and, you know, we went and did things in Hollywood. And I just thought, this is the greatest place in the world, probably even greater in the fact that I think the previous year I'd gone to Colonial Williamsburg, which is not kid paradise (laughs) by contrast. But I just thought LA was just so exciting. And so I had this dream to go back there. And when I was 20, I did. And so as part of a university program that I was doing, I was in an honors program where we had to do an internship in the media and I got to move to LA. And I'm a really big pop culture fan, love film, TV, music, all of that. And so suddenly this girl from small town, Indiana, um, Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up on a farm, but I knew people who did. And, you know, the the cornfields were around our area. All of a sudden I was on NBC's studios and I was on the Warner Brothers lot. And I was seeing these people I'd seen on TV and having to act like I was really casual and, you know, that I, and keep my cool and, you know, not nerd out on all of them. Um, 
and it was just so LA just lived up to, to all those dreams really that I had for it. Um, but that year was really pivotal when I was 20 and turned 21 because the following semester I moved to London to do mm. a, a study abroad. And so, whereas I thought LA was so magical, London, although it lacked the theme parks, was really magical for me too. Getting to travel Europe and see different places and meet people from literally all over the world. Like it was just so exciting to me. And that year changed my life. Up until that point, I thought I would become a lawyer. And, you know, that was that was my plan, you know, get the grades and do all the stuff that you needed to do. And I was on that track. And then I just thought maybe that's not what I want to do with my life. And I love to write. And I, I knew that, but I wasn't sure how I was necessarily going to use that because I didn't know communications was a career. I ended up moving to New Zealand, which uh, was its own little adventure as well. Again, just following that curiosity. And that's where I had my first communication job. And what was great about New Zealand is that the teams were small and that meant you got to, you, you had to learn a lot. So I got to, to try all these different parts of communication. I got to do media management. I got to do publications. I got to do, you know, speeches. I got to do the internal communications. And that's what I really like doing. The whole connection with people, helping people feel good about what they did and how they were contributing and what the purpose of the organization was and helping leaders really see their opportunity to, you know, inspire people, like not just inform them, but to really take people and make them feel like they're part of bigger, you know, something bigger than, than themselves. And that's where I found like, this is, this is what, what I want to be doing from there, kind of <laughs> moving to the third continent. I came, I came back to London again. I have this mix of, I would call it Midwestern optimism and naivete because I moved to London in the heart of the financial crisis, which was the absolute worst time you could come here. And also I was, as I was told, a foreigner. And I didn't realize that that would work against me here, particularly because I was from the US. I lived in a Commonwealth country. Like I thought it would be pretty easy to come into London. And it was a real challenge, but I was persistent and I built my career in communications. I, I wanted to work in financial services because someone told me it would be really difficult to get into. So I saw that as a challenge. And and that's what I did. I, I moved up and, and did that for a decade and was finally working in an investment bank. And that's where I had kind of that, again, another Oprah Winfrey aha moment where I thought about what do, what do I really want to be doing with my life? And, you know, it sound, might sound a bit cliche, but at that point I had two young kids and the things that had appealed to me before maybe didn't appeal to me as much anymore. And so that's when I decided what I, what I really wanted to do was help people improve these skills that hold them back. Because when you can communicate well, when you can inspire people, when you can get your ideas across, when you've got those skills and the confidence to do that, it really does change people's lives. And when I've seen people make that transition, when they you know lack the confidence and they don't want to put their ideas out there, when you see them make that change, it just, it brings so much joy to their lives and to the people they work with. So I talk about communication. It brings, it does bring joy and it and it will change your life. And so that's that's what I do now is help people improve those skills, not just communication, but also creativity, the things that make teams work more effectively and make leaders more connected and um and effective. Yeah. Wow. So so let's talk about just communications in in general. And I think it's so unique that that this is a specific area that you've zoomed in on. And because I think a lot of business leaders will focus on all different areas of their business and leadership, but they often 
don't spend a lot of time working on how they communicate or thinking about how they communicate. And so often we just assume that we're communicating fine and don't realize the the opportunity therein. So kind of a, a two-part question, why is it so important to communicate well? And also why is it so hard at the same time? Why do we get so hung up on it? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right that it is something that people are are quite happy to put their hands up about certain skills and say, well, I don't know how to code because when I was in school, you didn't, that wasn't an option. So I'm okay to put my hand up and say, I don't know anything about coding. But when you say to people, how about communication? Like, how are your communication skills? It can be really hard for people to put their hands up and say, I don't communicate as well as I could. And often you can find out, are you getting the results you want? Like I'll ask those questions. Like, do people tend to do what you ask them to do? Do people, you know, like you can ask questions to kind of get to the root, the root problem, which tends to be around communication because so many people, like, if you think about it in your own life, like professionally, personally, like there's so many problems that are caused by poor communication misunderstandings, you know, and particularly now, I think like in the way technology and the way we communicate has changed, you know, there's so much done through writing, but people don't want to say, I need help with my writing. But you think about how many emails have you received or texts or, you know, Slack messages or whatever it is, how many have you received that have made you angry or, or, or maybe make you upset or sad or whatever that maybe didn't, that wasn't the intention of the person who sent it. So the problem with with writing is that you can't tell the tone. We will always infer. So if I said to you, where is that? Maybe I'm asking you like, oh, where is that? Like just really casually. Or I could be like, where is that? You can't tell when you're looking at an email and people will get really, you know, people will really get upset and we misunderstand things so often. And, you know, there are, there are so many stories of like leaders. Um, there was a guy who was walked through Goldman Sachs years ago that said, gold looks interesting. That got interpreted as we have to buy gold. And, you know, he saw weeks later, he said, why do we, why are we holding so much gold? And they were like, well, because you said that we needed to buy gold. He's like, no, I didn't. I said, gold looks interesting, but that's where, and these things happen all the time. And, and it's just that, that idea of that when people can see the difference of when you communicate well, like the outcomes of that are so appealing to people, but it can be challenging to say, I need help with this because it kind of feels like, well, I've been writing, I've been talking my whole life. You know, I, it's like, you feel like you're asking for help to tie your shoes, but you may not be doing it well. And that's the problem because there are all these flow on effects like horrible things that happen from poor communication. I mean, financially, there are things that happen, but, you know, emotionally, when we talk about mental health and well-being and employee engagement, all stems back to the way we communicate with each other. And that's that's why it's so important. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it it seems like it's even a, it continues to get more complex because there's so many different mediums that we're communicating in. I actually studied communications in college and I'll always remember the Marshall McLuhan line of the medium is the message and thinking about, you know, the difference of, you know, one moment we're writing in this Slack message and the next moment we're texting and the next moment we're on the phone and the next moment we're on a Zoom call and the next moment we're talking in person. And so you have all of these different contexts that you're constantly switching between. And even as you were talking, I was thinking about how often I'll, I probably overuse emojis and exclamation points because I always I don't ever want someone to interpret frustration or that I'm being abrupt unnecessarily. And so anyway, all that to say, would you have any kind of simple tips or just helpful kind of thoughts for how we can be 
thinking about our communication in our just day-to-day business lives and how we can do it better. Yeah. And Ali, you make a great point about the emojis. That really stresses how culture plays a difference in the way we communicate. So some cultures, like I used to work in a global role and we would have these calls with Mexico and people from France. And I mean, those two examples right there, like everything that we wanted to do with Mexico or Latin America, it was a fiesta. It was a party. They were enthusiastic. Things with France or Germany, maybe they would have a very different reaction. Now, your interpretation was one thing, but what they actually meant could be something else. So you have to think about that as well of how, how does my audience perceive me? And that's a huge, huge tip for people with communication that I think if people would just think about the audience, like it should always start with the audience. Like it is not about here I am. I'm very intelligent. I want to come across very intelligent. So I'm going to use really big words to show you how smart I am. We have a politician in the UK right now who that is, that is the message that comes across. I want to show you how smart I am. Well, your audience is, it's more important that they understand you. And so when they don't understand your references or the words you use, your communication fails. And so it should always be about what is the purpose of this communication? Like right now, especially in COVID, like we are talking about life and death situations. Like yeah. I used to joke years ago about, you know, people said, what are you doing? You know, like, oh, I'm, I wanted to say, I wanted to save lives. So I went into communication, you know, and I would say it flippantly, right? Because sometimes you're writing things that they, it's not saving lives, right? It's just letting people know the information that you hear is the company strategy or here's, you know, this story. But we're talking about what we're talking about right now. This is life or death. Like you get that vaccine. Right. What do you do? You know, we've got people thinking I'm going to get the vaccine and then I'm going to go straight to see my grandkids. Well, that's not what you, the advice is for you to do. Like you've got to really understand it. So I have um, a nice little acronym that I use. I call, I talk about pacing, pace yourself when it comes to communication. So the P stands for purpose. Whenever you're communicating, whether it is an email, a town hall address, a pitch for, you know, VCs, whatever it is, what are you trying to achieve? What's the outcome that you're seeking? That that should be the first place you start. And then the A is the audience. Who are they? What do they want to know? How are they feeling? What do you want them to think and do and feel as a result of whatever it is you're communicating? And the C and E stands for curiosity and empathy, because I think these are two key components of the way we communicate with people that you really need to be curious about people and think about, you know, what do they know? What, what do they need to know? So like, for again, example, now employees around the world will be feeling differently than they did say January last year. We have had an incredible year. I will not call it unprecedented, but um, (laughs) because everyone else has, but people will be feeling differently. And there, I just read the Edelman trust report where it was talking about Um, how much has changed with trust. And so you've got to take that in, have a little empathy about how people feel right now. A lot of people are worried about not just losing their jobs, but, you know, their own safety, you know, the safety of their, their family and their loved ones. Like you've got to take in that situation and bring in that empathy and care into the way you communicate. And then when it comes to messages, again, bearing in mind, you're thinking about your audience and what you want to achieve and you're bringing that curiosity and empathy. I like to talk about Taylor Swifting your messages. (laughs) I think Taylor Swift is an awesome communicator. I've written about her before. I think she's fantastic, not just in her songs, but also in some of the stuff that she's talked about with her business, you know, all the the problems she's had with her label, like pick a song. And I think folklore is great with the 
the story she's telling in that. But I used to talk about we are never, ever getting back together. You know exactly what that the message of that story is, right? And and so when I talk about Taylor Swift and your messages, I say, keep it short, keep mm. it simple, and be clear. And, you know, you might think, oh, I've, I've told them twice. They're going to think I'm, you no, know, people often, especially now, we are distracted. We may not always be listening. You know, if, if you've got key points you want people to know, you've got to tell them more than once. Pace yourself, Taylor Swift, your messages. Those are, those are key things you can do to be a more impactful communicator. Absolutely. I saw a quote that you referenced in some of your materials by Winston Churchill, but talking about like a pile hammer pile driver. or pile driver. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Hitting that message home. Absolutely. As hard as you yeah. Can. Like it's, it's this idea of like being really delicate and clear, like, no, hit, he said, hit it with a pile driver. Then you hit it again. And then, uh, you know, somebody, a tremendous whack, like just this idea funny you can think of I'm probably we can all think of these situations we've been in before where like I was I was on a call the other day and someone was saying you know you're going to do this on your we're going to have people work in pairs and so one other person I mean they said it like three different ways and then the first question was so we're doing this on our own and you think like this these are educated smart people on this call but you know I probably got other things going on or they're kind of checking emails or their phone's going off or whatever it is so yeah, that that fact of, you know, in these things, again, around COVID, just because you've told people what a bubble is, or some of the terminology, maybe that we weren't used to before, like, right. that doesn't mean you don't need to reiterate it. And so it's a yeah. really important thing to just if, if your messages are that important, you want to make sure people take that away. And I always talk to people about what's the takeaway, and your takeaway should be so short. I talk about takeaways in a tweet. It can't be this long run on sentence paragraph. It's like, no, what do you want people to take away from this thing? Because they will take something away from any engagement, but you want them to take away the message that you're trying to communicate. So that's really clear. It takes some work though. And that's the thing is that you actually, it's putting a little bit of time into that. And and I will get the pushback of, I don't have time for that. Mm. That's a common thing I hear, but I will counter that with, well, do you have time to clean up the mess that occurs when people don't do it? If you were throwing a party and you needed people to be there at eight and that message doesn't get communicated and then people don't turn up on the right day and, you know, you spend all the money on catering and venue, like it's worth, it's worth doing well. I mean, your reputation, your impact and, and achieving that outcome that you set up from the beginning. So good. It's, I realize you know, we think that it's hard to write or communicate a long, you know, some long form thing. It's actually really hard to get that simple clear, short, short, short message through because it takes more work on our side. If we're just giving this long, like super long emails or super long explanation, we're actually doing less work and asking our audience to do the work to like pull out what the the true meaning or the gem of it is or what the takeaway is. Yeah, you're, abs- you're absolutely right. That, and that is where, again, it goes back to your audience. Like think about, you know, Mark Twain's quote about I apologize for the long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. It is harder to, and and so often people will, you know, they they write 10 pages. And this goes to your earlier point about why do people need help? It's because the school system doesn't encourage us. To, it doesn't teach us how to be effective business communicators. I was a writing major. You know, we had to write a certain number of pages or a certain, hit a certain word count. You know, you showed how much you knew about the topic by how many pages you could fill. Well, when you get into the business world and people are time poor, we flip that. It's now, instead of giving me 10 pages, I want you to tell me in one page. I right. want you to tell me concisely, succinctly, what I need to know, what I need to do, 
chuck all the rest of that in the appendix if you feel like, you know, if you've got it. But, and I would see this, you know, executives getting these giant PowerPoints that people would slave over to get a hundred slides and then no one reads them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I, I'm going to remember the Taylor Swift, your message. Yeah. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> if you had a license, I'd play a song for you now, but you know, I don't, I, I don't know if we have a license for music. So insert your own Taylor Swift song in your head. So talk to me a bit about the role of storytelling in great communication and, and how do we incorporate that and why, why does storytelling allow a message to really land and hit home well? Storytelling is huge. And the reason, and, and the reason why it's so important is because it connects with us in a way that data and numbers don't. And there's wonderful research in neuroscience. I won't get into all the like nerd stats on this, but um, there's plenty out there to say why it is such a powerful thing to, to help you get your point across because it engages the brain in a different way. So you're actually getting things, you know, oxytocin and dopamine being released that when people tell stories, parts of the brain light up that we can actually feel like we are there with them. Like you put people in the room where it happened, you know, but it's, it's thinking of when you get those details, you know, if you know what something looks like, what it smells like, what it tastes like, all those sensory details, you know, just hearing the word coffee, you know, if you start, if I told you about going to a coffee shop, you would start to imagine whatever your local coffee shop is and what does it smell like when you walk in and right. what's it like when you interact with the people at the counter and, you know, you get your drink, like it just starts to, to help us really picture something and connect. And it's such an opportunity for people when you are selling an idea or a product to use that that device of storytelling to really connect with your audience because we all have stories and a lot of times people will say to me like, oh, I don't have any stories. Like they think they have to, you know, done something, you know, I've never climbed Mount Everest or I've never, yeah. I didn't invent the iPod. So what could I have done? It's like, no, 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 We all, every single person has a story, like, and they have many stories. And it's thinking about, you know, if you think of yourself as a child to where you are now, there have been things that have occurred in that time. Right. There, will, there will be successful moments and there will be disappointments and heartbreak and loss and joy and whatever it is all those things have shaped who you are and telling those stories is what really helps us connect. And I, I was thinking about this the other day that, you know, I could tell you, I could stand up here if you said, you know, should leaders be humble, Beth? And I could go, yes, Ali, they should be humble because it's a really good trait. And, you know, 73% of people believe that humble leaders, blah, blah, blah. and I could quote the Harvard business review and I could tell you stats and, and I might persuade you, you might say, yes, I think humility is an important part, a trait for a leader or, I could tell you a story mm. and I could tell you that on a sunny Monday afternoon in January, um, a man from Missouri put on a dusty brown suit and a white polo shirt and he drove up to the stylish Lowe's Hotel in the Hollywood Hills and all eyes were on him as he walked in commanding the room the same way he's commanded the screen for 30 years and the man needed no introduction everyone in the room knew exactly who he was. But when he was given a name tag, he put it on. Because despite being a huge movie star, Brad Pitt is humble enough that he doesn't assume everyone knows who he is. Yeah, like, I mean, that to me is more memorable to say, wow, here's this huge movie star that like people of many ages would recognize. And he's putting on a name tag to meet the cinematographers and the set designers whose names and faces we might not recognize. Mm -hmm. And so when you tell those stories, when you talk about your own, you know, your own challenges and the things you've overcome, that allows us to connect in ways 
that, that facts don't. And I think it's a real missed opportunity. I see a lot of entrepreneurs, they talk about pitches and they'll say, you know, here's, here's what my business does and here's my projected growth and here are these really smart people I have advising me. And that's all great. But people are buying you, they're investing in you and they want to know that's that story that you have to share is such an opportunity to really connect and, and inspire people in your business and help you get what you want. Okay. So, so let's take kind of a couple of these storytelling and, and really hitting the point home and talk about something that is, I think drives the most fear for many of us, which is public speaking. First of all, why is public speaking so scary? There's all of this data that says people are more afraid of public speaking than death, which is hilarious in many ways. Why is it so terrifying? Do you have some some tips, guidance, advice around how we get over those fears and communicate effectively when we are public speaking? Yeah, sure. I mean, public speaking is one of those... I mean, it is such a common fear and you can find different research. I, I mean, you can find, depending upon where you're looking, like you say, there are people who it is, it is such a great fear. And one of the things I found in my work is I've been really surprised by how, not just how many people struggle with it, but who the people are who struggle with it. Because oftentimes these can be very accomplished senior professionals that you think that like you just wouldn't think that they would struggle with it, but it's it is that common and, and it's totally natural to be scared because when you're doing public speaking, you're in an unnatural environment. And our brains are always looking for threats and standing up in a room in front of all these people and having to deliver something, knowing that you might be judged, you might be ridiculed, you know, all of those kind of negative things that we put on it, like that's absolutely a rational, reasonable response to that that situation. But what I would say to that is it it doesn't have to be that way. And there's a great quote I love from um, the actor Jeff Bridges. And I picture him saying this kind of like in the dude voice, you know, where he talks about being um, nervous to, to go on stage when he was doing a play. And he's, he says, you know, fear is your buddy and put your arm around it and just embrace it. And I think that's an important thing. And also to reframe your fear. I talk to people about, think about it as excitement. I'm excited. It, like just there's, there are things to these minds, like these mindset shifts, not to sound like all woo and, and psychological on you, but there is something into your mind to thinking about, I'm going to go do this thing and I'm, I'm getting the opportunity to share. And, and that's what I like people to think about of that. If you've been asked to do some sort of public speaking, it's because you've got something valuable to share and people in the audience are giving you their time, which is so valuable. And so you want to, your job is to think about how to make the best of that gift that you have been given. How can I give you something that's going to help you? Is it, is it going to be something really interesting that I, that I give you to think about, or I teach you something you don't know about like reframing that opportunity to speak as something positive can, can really help. And one thing I'd say is, well, there's a lot to do to actually get yourself in the right frame of mind. So I tell people to start off by thinking about your strengths because people mm-hmm. will have strengths in, in terms of communication and public speaking. Like you may say, well, I've, I've got a lot of energy or, you know, I'm, I'm funny. I'm not on funny. If you are funny, naturally, absolutely use humor, but oh my goodness, the number of people who've been told they have to be funny and they feel like that's just another added pressure of like, you know, dance monkey dance. Like if, if you're not funny, that's okay. It's more important. Like I talk again, uh, another, I've got another um, acronym here about being an ACE communicator and being an ACE communicator, A stands for authentic. 
C stands for clear and E stands for engaging. That's what you want to bring to any public speaking environment. So start with thinking about number one, what are your strengths? Like put yourself in a positive frame of mind to think I'm going to get out there and give this audience a gift. I'm going to give them something valuable. And then before you get prepare, before you get out there. And I like to do things around, um, even before we spoke today, I went for a walk. I think it's really helpful to just move, like move your body, like, yeah, take a walk. If you, if you're more fitness prone, great, but just stretch, do something, um, that just gets your, your body moving, but putting yourself in that important frame of mind, being positive, thinking about your strengths, moving your body, practicing your breaths. And the other thing I'd say is most public speaking opportunities that we have are not life and death. Mm. A lot of times I think we put too much pressure of like, if I don't do, you know, if I don't do this well, what will people think? And most of us are not going to lose our jobs or our livelihood or our life. Um, you know, we're they're, they're not those kind of life and death stakes with all of our public speaking opportunities. So what you want to do is think about what's the best way you can impart the special gifts you have to the audience and use your strengths, prepare your body. And remember that, you know, this is one opportunity. This is not the end all and be all of your abilities and your talents. One moment in time. Something I've, I've been thinking about as well is, I mean, we, you know, we met because you heard me pitch in a, what would have once upon a time been in person. And it was a Zoom, a Zoom pitch. And now that we're kind of in this era where a lot of public speaking or even just communicating is happening over video conference, how do you see that kind of shifting how we think about communication? And do you have any any guidance on how we can be how we can be better Zoom communicators in a way? You know, how do we use this new medium that suddenly becomes such a big part of our lives and and do it effectively? So three things for Zoom that can help you be more impactful with when you're doing the communication through Zoom. The first is to look at the camera. And I sometimes tell people to put a post-it note or something if they need to remind themselves where that is, because you want to make eye contact with your audience, particularly if you're doing public speaking or if you're doing a pitch, it's really important that they see your eyes. So make sure you look at the camera. The second thing is to let Zoom help you. So there are some wonderful things in Zoom. If you're doing sessions with people, use those features if it's going to help you achieve your objective. So bring in poll questions, uh, Use annot- let people use the annotate functionality, use breakout rooms. Again, if this supports your goal, like some people might get crazy of like, I want to use everything Zoom can use. Always start with, with your purpose. What are you trying to achieve? But a little bit of engagement, particularly like if I were running an hour long session, and you might be able to speak in front of a room and command the room in a way that Zoom is going to add an extra an extra level of challenge. So by bringing in things that make it interactive, that can help make it more fun. And, you know, the the third point I'd make again is, is bringing back that empathy and curiosity. And the fact that like some people think, oh, every meeting I do has to be on Zoom because, you know, we have to connect this way. Well, if you've ever spent a lot of time on back-to-back Zooms, you know how draining that is. And again, it's not the same of being in the room with, with someone. And so just ask, like the simple act of asking someone to say, hey, can we turn our cameras off for this one? I'm I'm really tired. Like just doing that kind of thing. And, you know, we I see a lot of people kind of going into the one size fits all of like, oh, we have to do these things on Zoom. We have to do a you know, a happy hour drinks to, to get the team together. Well, some teams will love that, but not all of them will. So I go back to that curiosity and ask questions, 
find out what's going to work for people. So good. So good. And on that subject matter, one of the the bad habits I've realized that I have is, and and you helped call this out for me, is I just say, um, a lot. And I'm so trying to work on it and wondering if you have advice for our audience on how they can improve in some of these communication bad habits. <laughs> you know, I think it's a California you know, thing you know, too. Yeah, like, we say, um, we say like. We all do these things, right? And part yeah. of the reason is because our brains move faster than our mouths do sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so you're thinking about what am I going to come? Oh, I have this thought or I have that thought. I would first say that just remember, it's totally normal. A lot of people do this and it is something that you can improve on with practice. So I've got three tips here. If you are saying, um, and other filler words, you find yourself doing this when you're speaking. So the first is to really learn how to use pause. And I just did one there. And when you do a pause, especially if you're not used to doing it, it can often feel like you're pausing forever. Like, oh my gosh, I've just given her 10 seconds of dead air. Probably you have a sec, like when you break up the way you deliver your message, it also helps grab attention. So bringing in a pause can be really effective. And see, now we can listen to that back and go, did that work well? She was doing some pausing. <laughs> so the first thing, the first thing is the pause. The second thing is to practice. The more you practice, the it's just like public speaking is like anything. Like the more you practice the guitar, the better you'll get. You know, the more you practice running, the faster you'll become. The more you practice your public speaking, the better you will become. And the the thing often with people with public speaking is when I ask people, you know, who do you like? Like, so who when I when you think about public speaking, who do you like, Ali? Who do you think of as those are public speakers I really like or I really respect? Oh my gosh, so many. The first one that came to mind was Oprah because I was listening to her lead a book club the other day and she was so brilliant in how she engaged the audience. And I was just fascinated watching her and studying how she creates this warmth and connection to the yeah. people around her. She's just yeah. she brilliant. Is, absolutely. That's a great answer. Uh, Oprah is an incredible communicator. I don't know if she can sing as well as Taylor Swift and write songs, but she does so many other wonderful things. And a lot of people will tell me now, Michelle Obama is another one I hear a lot. Sometimes Steve Jobs is one that comes up. And what I love to tell people is that we often compare ourselves to people who do this for a living or people who have had 30 or 40 years of practice. And if you think about Oprah now, like if you go on YouTube, you can find, I mean, she's fantastic, but she's really fantastic now because she's had 40 years of practice. I mean, if you were doing this every day, you think about how long she'd had a TV show and how long she's done it. Like she's so strong at this because she's had so much practice. And so that's what I tell people. Like when you practice, you'll get better. Go find, there's a wonderful clip of Steve Jobs from like the late seventies. Terrible. He's so visibly nervous and he's awkward and he's bumbling. And you know, those Apple keynotes, I mean, they, they are major events. Like I read once that like 200 hours of practice went into a 20 minute keynote, like 200 hours. Most of us are probably not going to spend that kind of time, but that is why people watch Steve, you know, when they watch Steve Jobs previously or when they watch Michelle Obama now, they just look at them and think, oh my gosh, I want to be like that. Well, I mean, Michelle Obama has the, the luxuries of a team that most of us will not have. Like most of us have to worry about what we're going to wear and how we're going to do our hair. And we have to write our speeches and we don't have a teleprompter or we don't have a, a public speaking. We don't have an entourage of people to help us. Like that's how some people get so good, but whatever practice you can do will help you. So number one, pause, number two, practice. And number three, 
I wanted to come up with something with a P just to give it, you know, some nice alliteration here. As I said, I'm going to call this press play. So a really helpful trick you can do, because now everybody has a smartphone, most people, record yourself and then press play and listen back and listen to where do I stumble? Where, you know, how, how do I sound? Sometimes I can talk fast naturally. And so if I listen to myself, I can go, okay, oh, I was talking really fast at that point press play and and get yourself feedback as well. Like if you can share it with a trusted friend or someone who you think will, will give you good feedback, you know, solid, you know, constructive feedback, that's really helpful to get someone else's perspective because sometimes a lot of times, actually we can be our own worst critics about this. Like we think, Oh my gosh, I was terrible or I didn't. And and women in particular, I think are are even worse at this based on a lot of the people I've worked with. We're just so hard on ourselves. And a lot of times you know, people are, they are better than they think. And when they practice these things, they can get even stronger. So pause, practice and press play. Those are three ways you can help. So good. So good. Well, Beth, the the last kind of subject I want to just touch on with you is just this idea of creativity and innovation. And I, I know you do a lot of writing and thinking about creativity and at first blush, it almost seems like a separate subject matter from communications. And at the end of the day, it's not. They're completely intertwined. And we'd just love for you to speak to creativity as far as how we think about it in our work, our day-to-day lives. I know so many people who think they're not creative at all. And um, so what, what advice or guidance would you have around how we can be more creative and bring more creativity and innovation to our work. Yeah, uh, creativity is such a fun one because I started, I got into this about four years ago. I started to read about the future of work and future skills. And and that's where I really found this passion of how do we help people develop skills that will help them no matter where they live in the world or what kind of job they do or what their career ambitions are. And I, I think creativity was kind of a natural step to me from communication because it falls in that same category of These are skills that help us and that we all need, but they are often misunderstood. And creativity in particular, I think, just the word, like when I say creativity to people, they react. And often um, due to the natures of a lot of the people that I I interact with, they react negatively, like with a, oh, I'm not creative, or my sister's the really creative one, or I used to be good at that, you know, I used to do drawing or, you, you know, but they they don't necessarily consider themselves creative now. And we have this divide as well, where there are people who work in industries, say, you know, advertising, or, you know, you work in the arts who wear creativity, like a a badge of honor, you know, like, well, I'm a creative, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm a creative. And I guess if you don't work in that industry, it's just assumed that you're not. But the thing about creativity and why I think it's so powerful is because creativity is not about how nicely you can paint a picture or sing a song. What made someone like Picasso really creative was what he did when he picked that paintbrush up. He painted in a way that no one had done before. And that's what creativity is about. It's about having new ideas and doing things in a different way. And why it's so important is because creativity helps us solve problems. It helps us innovate. So if you think about anything in your life, like, I mean, literally, we've got all these problems to solve and creativity is a thing that helps us solve them. And you don't have to create, like people think, well, I'm not going to invent anything. You don't have to. Like I talk about uh, in this past year, 
supermarkets. Here's an example. You know, when you saw, again, around the world, when the pandemic started happening, you know, toilet paper flying off the shelves and, you know, all of the, like the necessary items just gone. And you see these like horrible pictures of, you know, grandma and grandpa looking sad as they can't get anything off their, their grocery list. Well, that's a problem. And how are you going to solve that? And some people might say like, whoa, we obviously need more online delivery because that, you know, we need to get the tech systems and we need to get more drivers and, you know, and that's one way to look at the problem. But the idea that I really loved was a supermarket that said, we're going to open an hour earlier just Mm -hmm. for our elderly and vulnerable customers, because we assume sometimes that people want what we want. Like you and I might like to do things online. We're used to it. There are other customers that that's not what they like. That's not how they shop. They want to physically go to a store. And that's where, again, curiosity and empathy come back in. They want to come into the shop. And by making it, you know, making a solution that accommodates your audience, they solved a problem. And how hard is it to implement that solution versus build a whole new, you know, technology platform and get all the other things? Like you do that immediately. And, and it went on from like, you know, how do you get people to do social distancing? Again, supermarkets, they took tape and they put, here's what, because, you know, if I say two meters to you, you, you visualize what that looks like. Maybe you think in, in feet, like I do as well, six feet. No, you just take out the guesswork. You put tape on the ground and you let people know this is exactly where you stand. That's a simple solution. And too often companies will come up with, you know, we get big groups together and you've got to have all these people involved and there's bureaucracy and there's sign-off processes. No, just go to aisle nine, grab the tape, mark the six feet. Like these are simple solutions to problems. And this is why creativity is so important because it helps solve problems no matter where you are. And so regardless of what you do, we all need to strengthen our creative muscles. And the, the point I make to people is that you are creative and I don't care what anyone has said or has happened in your life that made you feel like you were not creative. It is a, it's a human skill that we have that we can strengthen with practice, just like public speaking, communication. If you work at it, you can get better. And you you asked about tips. Again, I have a, a model for this um, that okay. I talk about. So the magic number of three, because uh, three, is a, three is a powerful number. So if people want to be more creative, and I would highly encourage them to, to do it because creativity also, like communication, it brings joy. It does bring joy. And if your creative pursuit is in the art, in the arts, if you decide you want to pick up a paintbrush again or start writing or any of that, that's great. If you're not inclined in that way, you can still strengthen your creativity to solve problems in business and in life. The first thing I suggest people do is follow their curiosity and absorb information. So this one is ARC, A-R-C. So A is absorb. So absorb information. And This means, you know, read things, watch things, listen to podcasts, whatever it is that you are curious about or you enjoy doing. Feed your brain, give it information. And then the second step is the R, is is to reflect. So your brain needs time to absorb everything that's coming in at it. Aaron Sorkin, the screenwriter, there's, I read this in an interview before. I can't confirm. I've not actually discussed it with him, but there's a rumor that he takes up to eight showers a day to help him come up with creative ideas because there's something about, you know, when you're in the shower, you don't have other distractions. If you ask people where they come up with creative ideas, I'm yet to meet someone that says, when I'm in a boardroom, I tend to hear people say, when I'm exercising, when I shower, when I wake up in the morning, like that's all about 
giving our, our minds time to rest. So give yourself time to rest and reflect. And then the C is to create. So if you have an idea, then just go create, experiment, try things, see what works, adapt and refine, but just keep going. Because the, the great thing about creativity is that all these stories, we know the success stories. We celebrate the success. We talk about Lin-Manuel Miranda. Isn't Hamilton fantastic? We don't talk about the seven years that it took to get it to Broadway. We don't talk about when Stephen Sondheim, you know, who's the master of Broadway theater, told him it's not going to work because two hours of rap is going to be really monotonous. We don't talk about the setbacks. We don't talk about the failures. We talk about the success. Mm -hmm. And so for anyone looking at creative pursuits that thinks, oh, gosh, this thing has failed or someone told me my idea wasn't any good. I would just encourage them to keep going because every story of creative success has failure, has setbacks. So it's a great opportunity for you to be resilient and persist. So good. Any any books that you love or would recommend? So many. I mean, I'll, I'll read anything on, I read a lot of nonfiction books, particularly anything in the communication, creativity, leadership space. Um, I was thinking about what I have read recently that might be of interest, kind of uh, aside from y- the usual suspects that you may hear or that people may have already read one book talking about curiosity that I read that I really enjoyed uh, recently was the emperors of chocolate. So here's me following my own advice. So this is a book it was written about, I think 20 years ago, maybe I started to read about M&Ms um, something. I, I read a story about M&Ms and that got me reading about the, the whole backstory of the Mars family and then the Hershey family and Hershey and Mars. This is a fantastic, they are fantastic case studies for leadership and business and creativity and experimentation and community. I mean, I'd never really known anything about Hershey or Mars. And this book talks about, you know, the, the two men behind the companies and how they have completely different ways of operating. Um, it was just so, so interesting. So that's one. And that's me following curiosity, which then I started to write things about. So it did. Curiosity is kind of the the first step to to creativity there. Second book. Again, I tried to pick some that maybe your your listeners would know. Um, Eleven Rings by Phil Jackson. So I got really into The Last Dance. And as I mentioned, I'm from Indiana, which is big basketball country. Phil Jackson was coach of the Bulls and the Lakers. And he wrote this book about winning 11 rings in the NBA. But such fantastic lessons in there about leadership and creativity and communication. Um, it's not billed as that kind of book, but it is, I just thought it was so interesting. And then the final one that I'm just about to finish now is The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. I just think it's so great to think about. I mean, when when you do these kind of things, and again, this goes back into communication, and I see this kind of, this is now pulling all these things we've talked about, Ali, where people do on Zoom sessions. I see a lot of people waste the first five minutes or so. When you think about kicking off a meeting, how are you going to make your audience feel glad they've tuned in? They've, they've joined you today. People will, I've seen people, oh, oh, well, let me hand over to so-and-so who will talk about this or hand over to so-and-so. Like they don't pull you in instantly or you get the like, well, we'll just give it a few minutes and let everyone join. And so you kind of have this dead air. So it's yeah. just been something I've been thinking about of like, how do we communicate? How do we set up these environments and these gathering spaces that, again, focus on the audience and what we want to achieve? And so I really, I'm nodding as I read her book and I'm just like, yeah, that's so interesting. That's so good. So I hope people will think, you know, bring a little bit more care into the way they they come together to to really help them achieve what they want to achieve. Wow. Well, Beth, this has been so fascinating. I feel like this is a 
conversation that I'm going to have to go back and listen to a couple of times and like take a bunch of notes on. It's I, I love all of the acronyms and so many, so many gems and takeaways. On that note, any, any final kind of if our audience takes away one thing. So yes, if I could give you a takeaway from this, the one thing I would hope people would take away is that they have more talent and potential than they realize. Whether you struggle with public speaking, whether you think you don't have any stories or you think you don't have, you're not creative, you can't come up with ideas. I would encourage you to realize how many strengths and talents you have and know that if you work at it, you can get better. Amazing. So good. Taylor Swift it. Taylor, Taylor Swift, Swift it. Absolutely. Home. I love it. Thank you for being with us today, Beth. My pleasure. We appreciate Thank it you. so much. Thank you for joining this episode of Real Good Company, a show about real people building good companies that make a big impact. Music from this episode is probably from one of my old demos. We hope you like it. <laughs> and Megan Schwindling is our producer. Thanks for joining and always remember to stay in real good company. <laughs>